Welcome everyone to Thursday Eye for November 9th and this is a very busy week for us that so we're going to cover multiple things. We're going to start with XAI and Grok model that they released and many people just saw screenshots and some people already got access. We're going to talk of course about OpenAI Dev Day where Thursday Eye and Latent Space were the probably only two podcasts that did this from the event itself and many people here uh, joined the live stream for us as well and managed the space. And uh, actually, some of you joined me in my headphone while I was sitting and watching Sam Altman high-five Satya Nadella on stage and um, seeing different folks like uh, Greg Bachman and uh, meeting a bunch of OpenAI people. And then we're going to talk about all the OpenAI releases and the differences between them. Somewhat in depth, but not fully in depth. And then we already had a conversation on Latent Space Pod, which I will probably link to the end of this podcast and, and send you guys in show notes. And we also have to talk about Adept AI, which released the new workflows. And Adept, you guys know from previous episodes, uh, released the Persimmon model and the Fuyu model. And it's founded or, or used to be co-founded by few of the authors or core authors on the original Transformers paper. So very exciting stuff from Adept. And we're, of course, recording this a little later today than usual because we postponed because the first ever AI hardware device is now available for pre-order or going to be soon, which is the Humane Pin from Imran Khan, previously at Apple, and they released the whole video and we're going to talk about them. We already covered some of this and then we're going to probably just have opinions. Nobody of us, I think, has access to the device. But they leaked a bunch of information, not leaked, they, they talked about a bunch of information. And so with that, I want to just welcome everyone. And I think we can get started with Grok. First of all, I'm going to ask the folks here on stage with me, Pharrell, Ray, Luigi, Robert, do you guys have access to Grok already or no? Because I know no, I sure don't. It doesn't look like any of us paid the plus <laughs> that. And even that I think is not, not necessarily allows you to get access to Grok. I think there's a wait list, even if you do pay the premium. And I, I did see a bunch of comments online, of course, uh, I will add to the show notes. I have a list of XAI people that I, I, I created back when they announced the XAI and I follow. And one of the top people there is Igor Babushkin, the guy behind the grokking paper, which is uh, familiar to folks probably in the audience as well. And, um, he's like the main guy that Elon kind of trusts to run this thing. Um, probably is also the reason for the name Grok because a lot of the, a lot of the work there is grokking and I want to highlight several things that I think are very interesting after reading folks' opinions online and trying to follow some of the employees there at XAI. Grok will have access, premium access, premier access, and probably the only access out of the big AI models to X in real time. And so this means that Grok, the model, will have access to the world news as they have. I personally think that this is an immense thing for a model to know what's happening right now, because even at OpenAI stage, not to go to OpenAI real quick, but OpenAI stage, Sam Altman was saying, Hey, we know that like people told us what they want and we changed it. And so GPT, the new GPT is now April, 2023 and Grok is immediate all the time. So it's a significant difference in the ability to know what's happening in the world now. We also know that there's a bunch of bullshit on Twitter and like, it's a huge platform with 500 plus million people all talking all at once. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all good information. 
that it's the most recent. However, as somebody who built uh, a startup on top of X and mega drug pool, the Elon, X is probably the closest thing we have to a global human consciousness and a model that is able to find within that the current information, I think is very, very interesting, at least. In contrast, we have obviously OpenAI with Bing and we have uh, Claude doesn't have any access to the internet, so Claude is cut off. And so it's a very interesting comparison to the big ones. Uh, in addition to just the impressive speed with which they train their model and they released some stats. And uh, I don't know if you, you guys on, on stage want to talk about some stats, please raise your hand if you do. Uh, but definitely they compared themselves to Llama, which is an interesting choice. And they said that they've trained with half the time of Llama, like half the resources. Uh, and about four months, they created the foundational model. I want to ask uh, Pharrell, I know you had some opinions about the, the, the architecture, the still transformers, you keep waiting for something else. You want to you wanna, uh, chime in on that? Not really. If the like, it's it's just I, I don't have access to the model. I just chased a lot of my opinion on uh, Grok on uh, what others have generated. I do agree that access to the like the Twitter feed and uh, all of that is valuable. But yeah, there, there's no there's nothing really. When they when they first came out, they they advertised, oh, we're gonna build like the this like truth AI and it's gonna have some. But like they brought up some really great names and it's going to have some fundamental kind of like shifts away from the traditional, but it turned out to just be like Elon Musk, um, hyping up shit for, you know, the, the, the Musk playbook, right? It works, but it's basically find, find a cause, project outwards a hundred years and then build, the, try to attract talent and, and build a team to be able to execute. And that's what they're doing. Uh, I do expect them to actually have much more valuable things coming out like in the next year or so. Like, I, I think we should all expect every single AI lab to have some really cool stuff coming up. So it's not really like a, a mark of death or anything. It's just, it's just interesting how, how low of a, of a bar there is for, for these companies right now. Yeah. And also very, very interesting that he's been saying a lot about OpenAI recently, how you know, he named it OpenAI for it to be open source. And then the first thing they released, they never even talked about open source. I think it's very interesting to see. And people like uploaded this tweet of his from 2016 that he talked about this. Yeah, I want to hear from Arthur. Arthur, do you have access to the model by chance? Uh, no, and I think the biggest deal breaker right now is that you need, if you already have the premium subscription, you need to go and cancel your subscription so you can switch to another one which costs more and you cannot just find it out. You need to see some tweets about that to know that this is the way as I was looking into the subscription tab in Twitter, checking why I don't see the premium plus or whatever they call it. So I guess for most people, they won't just find it if they have already subscribed. Yeah, absolutely. There's new two, two new subscriptions and there's not an easy way to move between the two. So hopefully they're working on an easy way. And those of us who would like to test it out and get some probably additional boosts, we'll, we'll have to check it out and we'll definitely cover more. I want to say we saw some benchmarks and they're fairly impressive compared to the, the short time the model was supposedly trained just around under four months. And obviously 
the gags and the humor and everything, it, it, it seemed like this model was trained on some of, at least some amount of Elon's um, uh, greets, <laughs> but also with his supervision probably, where he probably injected some of his, hey, more, more fun in the model. I basically will cover this event that it happened, they released it, and now some people are getting access. There's no API as of yet, as I saw. So you cannot use this for in your own products, for example. At least I haven't seen this, and folks, please let me know if I'm if I'm if I missed. It's been a little bit of an easy busy week because they released it what a day before OpenAI Dev Day or a couple of days before OpenAI Dev Day. This was a premeditated release, probably. They also released a paper card, I believe, on X.ai. And they talked about the fact that they've trained basically two models, like a V0 and a V1. And V1 is what people are getting access to. And the V0 is what they compared on some benchmarks for. It's obvious that they just started and they keep training this model. And I think it's another big company foundational model. And like Pharrell said, I think it's coming pretty much to every big business that they'll have their own. I, as a very strong user of X, I'm very excited about the ability of just like finding tweets from the past and talking to, to them. Um, and I think it's very important to know this one thing. In addition to being able to access tweets, they have to embed all the tweets or at least a big amount of the tweets. And so they did that. And not only they did that, they gave us access to those embeddings. So those of you who probably maybe noticed, but those of you who didn't notice, now every tweet you go to on the web and on the mobile app, I'm not sure if it's only on iPhone or Android also rolled it out. There's a button there that looks with a little icon that is now the, how should I say, the universally accepted icon for AI magic, which is like the stars, right? Every, every, every company now, everyone does those stars. And this means AI now. We probably should add them to Thursday as well. It says see similar posts. And how it works is basically the moment you tweet, your post has been embedded in the, in the QDRUNT vector database that they run. And we were able to find out that it's in fact QDRUNT and confirmed by, by that vector database specifically. So every, every post or every tweet you do is embedded immediately. And then when you do see similar posts, they do like a vector similarity search throughout the insane mass of tweets. And they probably built it such that their large language model will be able to find those tweets because that's how languages work. That's how we do retrieval augmented generation. Uh, but they also expose it to us users, which is pretty cool. And uh, so you basically now have, in addition to the AI powers that we still don't have access to, all of us have access to vector search within Twitter. The only problem is the actual search functionality doesn't use this. You have to tweet what you want to search and then hit the same similar posts. And then you'll find a bunch of other posts that are very similar. It works very well, and I'm very impressed with this. And so I just want to shout out that little piece that kind of on the way to um, to build the AI with this, we also got some um, side side things uh, for the benefit of all of us. I think that's most of what I want to talk about, Grok. If you guys have commentary here, go ahead, just in an orderly fashion. And then if not, we'll move on to Death Day. Yeah, you are right on spot that that Grok has like a really good chance at becoming something like finding out what's going on in the world. I think the Twitter API, XAPI becoming hard for other people to access is definitely like, I think outside of OpenAI and Microsoft, I think this will be one of the biggest AI models that, that is in the domain, in some other domain than just general purpose. I think that would get a serious, like a shot at becoming something really useful for people. 
I will say this uh, one second. Gangadar, you're welcome to the stage. We met at AI Engineer. Do you mind introducing yourself for the folks who are hearing you for the first time? Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm Gangadar. I'm the, currently doing a startup in the AI space, specifically research assistants. Nothing yet out there yet. I'm still in the prototyping and beta phase. Uh, hopefully soon I'll be sharing more. Yeah. Uh, and then, as, as background. Yeah. Previously I was at Meta doing multimodal models for content detection and classification, specifically integrity stuff, taking on bad content in social networks. Before that, I was at AWS AI, building deep learning models for the Amazon recognition APIs, which are like a object detection and recognition, like a classical computer vision models that are provided as AWS services. Yeah, I, I currently knee deep into training deep learning models and reinforcement learning stuff, specifically language models. I can't talk more about it yet because it's not ready, still in research phase. Hopefully I can share more coming months. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Luigi, go ahead and then we'll, we'll move on to OpenAI, which is a lot to talk about. Yeah. I was just wanting to say with Grok, like I agree with Farrell when what he was saying about along the lines of, uh, I think in the next year or so, I definitely expect them to come out with kind of more novel, more unique, cooler stuff. And I think this is maybe just, it feels like something they just want to get out ASAP and Elon was just like, Hey, I see how easy it is to theoretically, it doesn't take that much amount of compute or that crazy amount of talent to, you know, train a foundation model roughly equivalent to Lama. And so he's like, Hey, you guys are pretty talented. Let's just get this out pretty quick. And that's what they pretty much did and made their equivalent of that. And I think they're going to work on just a lot more unique stuff that we'll see coming out in the next year or two. Yeah, I'm sure they also mentioned a bunch of stuff about uh, math that they want to achieve. I haven't seen many of this. I did see one thing that they said that they compared Grok on the benchmarks to other models like Llama. And then they said, hey, given that we don't trust the benchmarks anymore, here we've created a new benchmark ourselves and, and compared all of these models on this new benchmark completely to remove the, the process of uh, overfitting on benchmarks. And here's how Grok compares on like, I think it was a mathematical test for, for something. And it's very interesting that people not only come up with a model, but also come up with a set of benchmarks themselves. I think we've seen this before with either Xwin or Quen. Quen, I think also said, Hey, there's this new task that our model does better than the others, but no benchmarks were covering this, which is like a tool selection. So we can compare ourselves with GPT-4 and definitely worth checking out. We'll be linking the Grok paper and the website in the show notes and go ahead, Robert, and then we'll move on. Yes, I just wanted to notice like one thing that I think OpenAI and other companies will never have is the history of human and how they interact with others and basically the, how interaction changed throughout the time. So how brain was evolving and how tweets are changing and the wording and stuff and the popular popularity. I think this stuff is very unique to Twitter and this will actually allow to go like select high quality data because I think the quality is what OpenAI is struggling with right now. And uh, Twitter will definitely have like very high quality data because of engagement and the stats rate. I think, I think that's a great point and we probably should discuss the data quality as well. And, and the kind of, I think you're right, Robert, the, the sentiment of the human, human population right now around the world, right? Twitter data was probably used to train other models before because Twitter data was out there. There was like scraping API was available. And so 
there was assumptions that Elon closed the API real quick and not assumption. He talked about this. He said, hey, we're scraping, we're getting trained on, nobody pays us, blah, blah, blah. I think maybe even open the eye, I don't know. And so he mentioned this multiple times in the past. And now since they've closed, previous models have only a cutoff time for Twitter data and Grok will have continuous, continuous access to just the sentiment and what the world thinks about different things. And by the world, it's just masses. It also has access to metadata about tweets, where they're taken from, have people edited them. And an incredible thing that we should probably note is the community notes that I personally enjoy significantly. Just one time, a tidbit about community notes. I don't know if you guys saw this. Mr. Beast went to Africa and did a hundred wells of like fresh water to, 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 to basically give water to people. And then there was like one article trying to shame Mr. Beast for doing that. And the community note said, Hey, the activist behind this, this person is that person. And they, they tried to do the same or something, blah, blah, blah. And just like community notes is like also a great thing that I think is unanimously considered great by many, many people around the world. Even those who personally hate Elon, which unfortunately doesn't have an API. Nobody had access to community notes before. Even people who did have access to the actual interface. None of the AIs for training had access to community notes, and that's some sort of RLHF to an extent. And understanding of if a tweet is like getting viral and people are knocking it down, so what's true, what doesn't, what isn't true. I think it's being used more and more. Now, the community notes is a very important piece of how Grok will understand stuff about about the world. So I gotta wonder if they they use that for training, and probably they, they will. And I think. We will continue seeing, we'll keep updating about Grok and whether or not we have access API-wise or otherwise. I will definitely sign up for that premium thing to, to enjoy and, and test Grok and see if it replaces any of the many API assistants that I now have, which is, or sorry, AI assistant that I now have, which is GPT-4 and GPTs. We're going to talk about GPTs, Claude, Pi, Bing, Bard, and then we also have other open source ones. That's about Grok, Elon, and the XAI's new, basically foundational model, specific trained on X data and have real-time access. Gengar, go ahead and then we'll, we'll move on to OpenAI. Yeah, uh, I got to add one more thing that said the community notes and the RLHF go hand in hand because community notes is essentially distilling what does human prefer? What does it mean to be a community standard? That goes like a really parallel to what RLHF and what does what does a human preference alignment look like? So those both, if you solve one, you're solving other partially, almost close to the other one. So I think uh, having access to community nodes and also the standards, both are like really useful for the graph models. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll, we'll, we'll see more more of that. And, oh, Nista, welcome, welcome. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to say that in community nodes, it's all open source, and uh, you get an anonymous username and stuff, but everything you do with that anon anonymized username is actually pushed to GitHub. Community nodes is actually a good, it's a good source for training data. <laughs> I just say, that's all. Wait, the data behind community nodes is pushed to GitHub? I haven't seen that. I know the algorithm is exposed in, in, in GitHub. I think they talked about kind of the, the weight of that, how you decide for community nodes. They have a bunch of algorithmic decisions there, but is the data as well pushed to GitHub? I haven't seen that. Some of it, it said in there that it is, it is pushed. I have not seen the actual data myself. I can confirm from being a community noter that it said everything is, is pushed out with this anonymous username and the data is provided, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's completely public or you have to ask for it, but it did say that 
everything you do in here will be uh, with this anonymized uh, username with three random gibberish words. And, yeah, so yeah. I'm a fellow, I'm a fellow bird watcher previously, formerly known as bird watcher. And I, I would love to see also if the community notes are actually exposed. That would be great as the open source data set for sure. All right, folks, moving on from X and X got a little bit of time for us and getting started. We're now moving on to the main course. The main course is obviously OpenAI, DevDay, and the insane amount of capabilities, features, and announcements, and excitement around that day, and counterparties, and all these things that happen. And so I actually had to take notes because it's impossible to just remember all of that. And I will definitely cover multiple things. I will run through them. Raise your hand as you do them. And then I think we have Robert here who at least played with some cool stuff. Ray, I think you played with some GPT stuff. And folks in the audience who already created GPTs, let's also raise your hands and, and come up to talk about them. OpenAI's first developer day on November 6th was an incredible event. Uh, many of you were in the audience live with me in my ear as I was watching that. And I, I felt so incredibly humbled by being there, but also being there with the community together. And hopefully, I apologize for the mic issues that we had. I had a grand time. So apparently, apparently, uh, OpenAI didn't just hire a, a venue. They repurposed the parking garage. And so they made it look like an actual venue that's very, very high quality, but it was a parking garage that they took over. I, I heard this thing, but I wanted to share with you guys. And let's just go straight to the announcements. They had a keynote where Sam Altman and other folks talked for 45 minutes, and most of the announcement went on the keynote. And then some of the more interesting tidbits went between the lines and, and in further follow-up session. And they had multiple booths of demos as well, because not everybody got access immediately and multiple booths of the, they even have a help desk. We literally, literally come to people, they stand in the desk and you ask them any support that you need, which is super cool as well. I've been to developer conferences, having developer experience folks help actual developers. I think it's a great idea. Let's maybe, before I start covering things, I want to say a huge thank you to Ray, to Pharrell, to Luigi, to Nistin, to Akshay and some other folks who spend time in the space, holding the space together, talking through the changes while we were like trying to move between one location to another location, learn about everything that's going on to bring you kind of news from the, from the space. So thank you guys. I really, really appreciate it. A little loud, but thank you, Ray. And more than 8,500 people tuned into the space, which definitely is one of our biggest spaces for Thursday I And shout out to Rayton Space and Swix. And apologies to Swix, who's voice was just not getting picked up by my microphone no matter how close i put my my microphone in his mouth almost he almost ate it and still you guys couldn't hear him apologies to twix we'll definitely try this next time the technology behind twitter spaces i wish they spent more time on that a little bit than on grog but okay moving on so what actually was launched so many things uh, luigi you want to comment before we, we start uh, talking about things yeah, I just wanted to mention uh, one of the people in the audience too, but just very temporarily, uh, was Sam Altman. So that was, I just thought that was worth noting. Oh, we got we got Sam straight in the audience. He was apparently at the party, at the after party, and I didn't have a chance to run into him, unfortunately. I did run into some other folks, and Andre was there, and Andre Kapathi, wherever he went, there was like a crowd of six to fifty people. Anytime he talked, it was super cool to just see. I'll, I'll share a picture of that later. Let's talk about the, the, the things they announced. And I want to kind of separate the things because it's hard to separate them. They announced a bunch of stuff, not only for developers. And I want to start with the model itself. 
they announced a new model, GPT Turbo. GPT Turbo has 128K context length, which is incredible. And we've seen the attempts or from the open source community, not attempts, the successes from open source community to get there with obviously new research friends with the yarn paper and the Mistral 128K from news research. But this is the first ever time that we get there with a model that's hosted by a big company. So far, the highest context window that we had was Claude Anthropic with 100K, even though they told us that Claude V2 is actually 200K, they just released 100K. So we'll see if they kind of respond to this. But GPT-4 Turbo is 128K context length. For those who don't understand what this means, it means the book and a half sometimes. So you can, the Great Gatsby, for example, is like 60, 70,000 tokens. So you can, you can send the book in the prompt, basically. This is only on the input. I think we saw that it's still kept at around 8,000 tokens on the output. Correct me if I'm wrong there. And also, also, it's three times cheaper than GPT-4 previously. Not only cheaper, it's faster. Apparently it's a distillation of some sort based on some features, but it's incredible to see that OpenAI brings us faster models that are cheaper and they do this all at once. And the interesting thing there is we've all talked about, if you follow tech for a while, we've talked about the scaling laws of, of, of hardware and Moore's law and all these things where you get one of the two, you get either cheaper by half or faster or like more, uh, more energy efficient one, uh, once every 16 months or 18 months, sorry. And here, OpenAI just always gives us faster and cheaper, always, and like 3x cheaper as well. In addition, they also down the price of GPT-3, so you can use GPT-3 or 3.5 Turbo as well. I think it's like 3.5x 3 um, cheap. In addition to being faster, in addition to the context and, 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 and the price, they also made it more accurate, that's they claim. I don't know if folks in the audience already had the chance to experience this, but they say they, they have a more accurate thing. And I saw multiple tweets. Actually, I saw two, two tweets that did a comparison for, I think it's called perplexity, but basically recall for the whole context window. And so there's two comparing tweets right now. One of them says that it's actually a very great recall. They did some tests about placing five pieces of information throughout the 128 context window, and they asked GPT-4 to extract that information. So two separate tests, one did not find that it's that good and, and said below 64K tokens, it's actually really good, like 100% recall, and at around 128 or 120, it's not that good. And I heard another one that says it's actually very good. Remains to be seen, but definitely the whopping context window allows for just so many, so many other use cases that we've all went to maybe Claude to do summarization. For example, I'll, the transcript for this part will be summarized by GPT-4 128K tokens. And they also have a better attention throughout the context length. And it also is, uh, has a much better trained JSON mode. If you guys followed this for a while, you know what JSON former is probably, but basically they've added a piece inside GPT-4 they will not let it output anything than the valid JSON out. Previously, we got functions from uh, OpenAI, and the way we did this, we asked for the function back, and the function parameters were like in a JSON format. This was okay, but not great for many people. And now we're getting a JSON output back, which is incredible. I think it's also the API layer, not necessarily the model. And uh, we get improved function calling capabilities. We get an updated cutoff time with April 2023. 
significantly higher rate limits, which we didn't get yet because OpenAI immediately got DDoS. I think it's still under, under distress right now. The API, so everybody who works on GPT stuff and starts to play around with the cool things. And shout out to people in San Francisco who are doing the hackathon right now. OpenAI APIs are down a little bit, but we did get high rate limits, at least on paper. And this new model is already implemented in the ChatGPT interface for us. And I think it's a significant upgrade to most folks. I want to hear comments from uh, folks on stage. Please raise your hand if you want to comment on the model itself, its improvement, capability, speed, performance. And I think, please let me know if I forgot anything about the model itself. I want to ask maybe Luigi, what, what's your, what's your comments on the model itself? Yeah, sure. So some people had posted benchmarks, of course. Yeah, I know Farrell doesn't like the word benchmarks in the first place, but uh, benchmarks aren't everything, but some people have run some internal tests of GPT-4 Turbo versus GPT-4, and it does seem like there is like a little bit of noticeable decrease in quality in GPT-4 Turbo. And Sam Altman did say some quote on stage, something to the effect of, I think verbatim, he said, it's smarter than GPT-4, like GPT-4 Turbo is smarter than GPT-4. But I think maybe that's just because they really want to promote the model because of course it's cheaper for them to run. Probably it's faster. It has longer context. It's probably going to be what a lot of their systems are based on because it's cheaper to run. Yeah. It looks like for people that are doing fine tuning or people that really want the absolute highest quality data and information from GPT-4, it's probably the non-turbo model they want to use. Yeah, I think I remember similar things when GPT-3.5 Turbo was launched and people who are using completion APIs and not the chat interface, for example, OpenAI wanted to promote and move everybody to the chat interface. And many people said, no, completion is still like this and that we need to do completion. So that's the model, uh, in addition to announcing pricing increases, decreases, sorry, they announced pricing decreases on the, the smaller models as well. Let's now move to. Uh, well, I have one more thing. Yeah. Go I think it's very, not a typical thing, but they, he also mentioned that there will be log probabilities, which I think I haven't found in the documentation. And I think this opens a lot of possibilities to see what's going on inside and make cool visualizations regarding what does it think about stuff and how biased it is. And just like a replacement for fine tuning bird models. This is one thing. And another thing which I think he mentioned on he mentioned stage is that it gets better with a longer context. So I think they do some special stuff inside it to make it overfeed on the context to make it like predict better or something. So those are the things I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Robert. And uh, Luigi, you want to comment on log probs and what they are just briefly? Yeah, actually, that's yeah exactly what I was wanting to do. So log probabilities, I guess, I could just explain for the audience that is not familiar with that. So like in short, and I haven't looked deeply into it for what OpenAI is doing, but I'm pretty sure, and Robert, you can maybe correct me if I get something wrong here. I, I think what they're saying is that like through the API, OpenAI will make it available for for pretty much for each token that's being output it's going to show you the probabilities of what was actually the different probabilities in the output of the model of the different other tokens that could have been outputted. And then for the subsequent tokens, of course, et cetera. And I think this is actually interesting from their end because this would open up the chance for other organizations to do research on different ways to actually produce the, the response by using the log probability data in different ways than like compared to the traditional way of using them to inference. 
And that could just open up ways of like new ways of inferencing that could reduce hallucinations, ways of inferencing of like multiple instances that could end up comparing different outputs and getting most accurate information. So many possibilities. Awesome. Thank you, Luigi. Thank you, Robert, for this reminder. And definitely it feels, I think lock probs were enabled for 3.5 before, or at least three for sure. And it looked like open the eyes. Like they're so confident in their lead going forward that then they're now okay with giving us lock probs for four, knowing that distillation will happen and folks can, can use those potentially. I heard from news folks that we all know, Emozilla, I think, and, and I think Technium, that it remains to be seen whether log props are better than just asking models for, for outputs. I don't think there's a, a clear cut understanding that this will be for sure better. So it remains to be seen once we get them. I don't think we got them yet. I think they said it's coming soon. Moving on to the API piece. And this is a big one, folks. Strap on to your seats because like we got so much. We had the new APIs that, by the way, work with multiple models, not only this model, right? So this is a little bit of a confusion that happens. OpenAI released basically their foray into the world of agents in two parts. One of them was the assistance API, which we're going to talk about now and cover. And the other thing is the GPTs we're going to cover next. They're not the same thing. It's a confusion between the two. And I would definitely want to highlight this confusion. The assistants, you can run them via the API. You can create them programmatically. The, those assistants are essentially agents. You can use GPT for Turbo. You can use the previous one. They have different things. So let's start with assistants. And then GPTs are a whole different thing. They are also agents. They're not, they're not comparable. You cannot call them via APIs, etc. So let's talk with assistants first. You can now create assistance via an API and assistants are basically agents. What does agent mean? Agent means that like they run tasks and do them in a loop. And you can create assistance with a custom prompt. They will always be kept at the assistant. They will keep it for you. Previously, everybody who used an agent like AutoGPT and Baby Agile, like all these things, multi-ion, all the agents that the San Francisco folks on Twitter talk about, they had to send the context every time and the kind of the custom prompts every time. And basically they had to send back and forth everything that you wanted from an agent so that the agent remembers what it does and what it's for. And now uh, OpenAI basically gave you an opportunity as a developer to just very quickly to create one um, agent that fits in their system and remembers itself, remembers what it's used to do uh, and custom prompts and all these things. They additionally gave agents several tools that they can do. So one of the incredible tools that we can spend some time to talk about is called Interpreter. First of all, Code Interpreter is back to be Code Interpreter. Yay, Ray, can you use the, the claps thing one more time if you're here? Uh, because Code Interpreter was renamed to Advanced Data Analysis and now it's back. And the developer community rejoices because this was a marketing decision to rename this to Advanced Data Analysis and we don't like it and we never liked this name. And now it's back to be Code Interpreter. So Code Interpreter now is in... All right, right. All right. Thank you. Code Interpreter now is a tool that you can give, you can enable for your assistants. And you can say, hey, if I allow this run code and, and create, and actually run, uh, write code and execute code in that safe environment. So every assistant actually gets a safe environment to, to execute code. And that just imagine the capabilities of that. Basically, we've talked with multiple folks before. We've talked with Shumanik with the, the open, sorry, with Code Interpreter API. We've talked with Killian with the Open Interpreter that runs in your machine. We all have now been upgraded to the ability of these agents to run code. I think it's incredible. The other thing, the tool that, that the assistants have is retrieval. Those of us who've been around these parts know that vector databases raised a bunch of money throughout the spring of 2023. 
And uh, during the summer of 2023, we all learned this word RAG, Retrieval Augmented Generation. We all learned this for multiple reasons. One of them is because that's how Twitter works. Retrieval Augmented Generation basically means that shoving everything into a context window while if possible, given the context restriction so far, it's not very advisable because it's expensive. You pay for a lot of context and you pay for these tokens. And so people basically stored their information in a vector database and then created the system called Retrieval Augmented Generation, where you embed the user's query and you match this query with whatever you have in the database. You extract several pieces. And it's a pain in the ass to do. Everybody who implemented the rag from scratch knows that, like, how do you do chunking? How do you know that it doesn't hallucinate answers? There's a bunch of stuff with rag that feels hacky. Not to mention you have to run all these, like, vector databases either yourself to host or you have to work with, like, external APIs with the days found of them. I'm not going to mention all the vector DBs. I will say a few of our friends, Chrome DB is one, and we had Pinecone uh, on stage, Roy from Pinecone multiple times, and uh, Cloudflare announced one. Basically, it feels like a, a vector database now is everybody has one. And so now OpenAI has one. And not only it has one, it built in the whole retrieval action to your agent. And you don't have to deal with anything. And your user doesn't have to deal with anything. They'll do the chunking. We don't know how, but they claim they're doing it in a very well way. And probably they are. They do the, the chunking. They do the retrieval. They do the embedding. They do document parsing and understanding, which is an additional piece separate from the chunking. You're now able to use their API to upload documents and kind of extract their information, which is super cool. And uh, you can let your user upload files or you can upload files to your assistant ahead of time. And uh, if you upload files ahead of time, the system will have this in memory. So, for example, if you are training an assistant for a Thursday, I summarize a bot, for example, right, that I want to run, I can upload all of the Thursday I exports into the assistant, I can put them in like markdown files or PDF files and just like upload them when I create the assistant. And every time somebody will query this, the assistant will do retrieval, basically a rag on top of the existing information that I already provided and give users the answers based on that and super quick as well. And we found out via a mistake in the interface, by the way, that a silent winner of the last week is QDRUNT. Uh, QDRUNT is one of the vector DBs and apparently it also it supports the, the X and XAI and Grok embeddings. Imagine embedding all the tweets super fast. So that's very, very impressive. And they're using, they're used for OpenAI. So I don't know who from QDRAT needs the shout out, but definitely the business developer folks in QDRAT needs the shout out because apparently the two biggest announcements this week all use QDRAT behind the scenes. So retrieval for your agent, assistant API agents is very important. It's super easy for you to get started with. Let's see if I forgot anything about retrieval. Extracting information, searching information. I think that's basically, basically it. The third incredible thing in the stateful API is it's stateful. If you guys ever, ever used OpenAI API, and hopefully everybody in the audience used it at least once, you know that you have to keep managing the state yourself. For every user, you have to manage the state of what the user said, what the system prompt said, what the system response was. And if you want to continue that conversation, you have to basically build this string or this array of, of messages back and forth. And you have to keep sending this back and forth, which costs you tokens, which costs you latency, which costs you all these things. And OpenAI came out with the stateful API. What does this mean? Basically, you create a thread and you just say, hey, here's a thread. And then you have a thread ID. You can assign this to the user, or you can probably assign this to multiple users. And then you just keep sending messages there. And you can have, you can ask for everything in the thread. You can have like all the messages in the thread back. 
And you don't have to keep sending the text over the wire that, that you already have sent before, like the system prompts, like the previous conversations, and they store it for you for the longest time. I think it's a huge, huge unlock. I know for a fact that I had pains in managing state multiple times between multiple users as well. And I think it's a huge unlock now to the capabilities that we got locked, unlocked. The one thing that we talked about previously, I didn't find this, uh, an answer for OpenAI folks is, okay, if I'm not sending the tokens, all the tokens back and forth, how do you guys price the token price? Because everybody knows that GPT-4 is priced per tokens. Uh, and they actually answer with not that great of an answer, but basically you still pay for all the tokens in that thread uh, as they're executing all the way up to 128K tokens. Uh, and then you keep paying 128k tokens, right? So don't go crazy with threads. Make sure that your users reset threads and start from scratch. Uh, but stateful API is definitely helpful. And the way to, if you're interested in knowing in advance how much money something will cost you, uh, you're able to hit the thread API and extract how many tokens are in a thread, count them, and then make your decisions that way. That's the currently official position from the open source, uh, from OpenAI. And they said that some kind of chunking and some kind of uh, cutoff will come. So it will not be all the time that once you reach 128K tokens, you keep pay for 128K tokens, whether whether your user understood this or not. Something is coming there. We caught them by surprise with this question. Shout out to the pop people live on, on X, who apparently were the guys who came up with this question for all of us. And then we went and found out from multiple people. They gave us an answer. Um, definitely some changes in how to estimate costs. but. Stateful is incredible. It, it makes everything so much easier. Comments on just the fourth time that we've talked about creating assistance, code interpreter, retrieval tools, and stateful API. What else is important that I missed from folks who already played with the API? Go ahead, please. Um, uh, can I just note something real quick? Is the storage costs. Like, I think that's something that a lot of people miss is that uh, it's pretty expensive to store any type of data with OpenAI uh, through through their API or whatever. Um, and it, 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 it doesn't make sense as a business to do that on top of all the, the, the costs that they spend on tokens. Like it, it's pretty ridiculous when you think of it. Like the, the, like, I, like I can't share numbers or whatever, but like it, it, is, it is pretty cutthroat. And it's something that a lot of people miss out because when you start to convert your entire infrastructure to work with that, and then you have that switching cost that you can't like move out as, as it, it's, it starts to add uh, a lot of problems when you think of it, when you want to scale or when you want to actually build a self-sustainable business. So yeah, just, just a note here. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the storage cost. It costs 20 cents per gigabyte per system per day, 20 cents per gigabyte per systems per day. And that storage can build up super, super quick. And I think somebody compares it to S3, where the storage is like 20 cents per month for gigabyte and not per assistant, which is like per month. And this definitely can start build up significantly for people. However, one thing important to note is that they're not only storing this code on storage, they're holding this in a vector database. So if any comparison happens, it should be a comparison to something like, something like Pinecone or Riviate or like all of those folks who are like actually have a vector uh, database that holds for you. Go ahead, Luigi. Yeah, I think it makes sense actually, because I believe, I think there's also a limit of, I want to say a hundred files total, something along those lines. And I think it makes sense from the standpoint of, as you have more files for any given assistant, 
and also larger files, then naturally their logic is if you have super massive PDFs or super high resolution images or something there, that would naturally make it harder theoretically for the model to retrieve that depending on how the retrieval system is. And so it would make sense they don't want it to somebody to put massive amounts of file information there because then the person might be disappointed of like how well all that stuff is able to be retrieved. Yeah, that being said, the threads do have unlimited capacity is what they say. It doesn't have a cap as to how many messages a thread can have. Yes. Hey, Roman, please feel free to introduce yourself briefly for folks who haven't heard your words before and tell us about the unlimited capacity because they have some trickery there. It's still 128 tokens, but they're moving some stuff. It's like a sliding window, right? Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure how they're handling the, the like limit there, but something like rag said, introduce myself. So I'm a software engineer. So APIs are much more my thing than the models. So this is something I am really excited about. I'm playing with this stuff. I'm reading into it. Very, very, very cool. Here specifically the, the thread is such an interesting object to me because they give you an assistance API and they give you a thread API and the assistance is exactly like Alex described. There's a prompt, there's a description of what tools it's allowed to access, like retrieval, like uh, the code interpreter, but you can also add any other kinds of tools, right? And what you can do with a thread is you can have a given assistant run on that thread. And what's even cooler is that you can run a different assistant right after. So you can have like a collection of assistants and based on what happens in that thread, you can run one assistant or another. You can even override what tools it has at a given run. So they have this basically shared object, this thread thing, and it's pretty fun because like if somebody builds out a tool and they own all of the interaction with OpenAPI, then maybe it's a bit more closed in this way. And it's just a good, good way of organizing stuff. But if you as a user, like I really like shortcuts, if you were the one who actually controls this like thread object, you can choose what assistant you're going to run on it, what data has access to. Basically, I'm nerding out. It's exciting. That's exactly what we do here. We've been nerding out about the updates here. And Roman, thank you so much for coming up and, and talking about this. I want to I wanna highlight this point real quick. Uh, the separate assistant, and Raj, I will ask you to mute your mic, please. Separate assistants on the same thread is very interesting. They mentioned this on passing, in passing on stage. And I think that having different assistants doing several separate things, each with their own context, by the way, right? They're not all getting the same memory, I believe. They're not on the thread. Roman, maybe you can clarify this. Do you know of like the, the store is a per assistant per day. And so retrieval is per assistant per day. So separate assistants will not have the same retrieval. They have different retrieval in documents, right? An assistant is super simple. It's just a configuration object. It's what model it's using, what tools it has access to. And, and tools is just a configuration, configuration object and says, this is the kind of parameters I expect. This is what they should be like, look like that's all it is. It's just this configuration. The really heavy thing that stores all the data, stores all the history is this thread with the exception of files as well. And you create a file and then you can associate that file with a given assistant so that the assistant actually has access to it. But two things that are actually holding stuff, files and threads. So that's, I think, where you're probably going to be charged per data per day. 
Yeah. So clarification that I want to make, I think, is because the file storage is per system per day, I think the systems have different retrievals. The, the RAG system, the actor database, each system has access to their own, not via the thread, but they have uh, access to the thread context. And additional thing that we're not glancing over, I think it's very important, is the tools thing is the fact that every assistant now has functions as tools and you can create multiple tools per assistant, you can name them. And so if you guys remember, we talked about plugins a lot previously, each assistant now you can build them with capabilities and open the eyes, like new models are significantly better at like tool selection as well. And you can, I think you can also have multiple functions that it calls. You can build your assistants with those quote unquote tools or actions. I think it's called tools or actions, one of them. And your assistant will be able to do that in addition to the code interpreter, in addition to retrieval. So those actions could be, for example, stuff around like APIs in your system or stuff around your house even. I think one of the demos they did on stage was they had some hue lights, those automatic lights, and they had some Spotify, and they asked the assistant to help them to set the mood and then play something. And the, the assistant called those tools and those called, uh, tools called the APIs. And you can program them to be whatever you want for your, for your thing. And those tools will keep being there because you add them at the initiation level, at the configuration level. You don't have to keep sending those functions, et cetera. I think it's super cool. And there it's their twist on the, on the whole function thing. Let me remove just a little bit of mystery, yes, but please. also make it a bit easier to think about tools. What is this? And like, how does it call the APIs? Who does the calling? So tools, like I said, is just a configuration. The LLM is given a description plus what it's supposed to pass and what it should expect as a result. And what it does is it basically, whenever this is going to, this tool is supposed to be used, it adds a specific kind of message to the thread. And it's not a message that is directed at the user. It's a message that says tool run. Actually, I forget exactly the name, but it's supposed to be like a, this is an indicator to whoever is managing this thread that I want this tool with these parameters. And then whoever is actually writing the code that interacts with this thread has to run that tool and give back a response in order for the thread execution to continue. If I build a, say, iOS shortcut that manages, manages this thread and one of my tools is another shortcut that maybe controls my lights. If the, the system says, I am going to go and turn on the lights. So it says lights, the light name, and then set state to on, right? So it adds that there. It's not actually calling my lights. It doesn't have access to my lights. It doesn't, it knows about it in this indirect way. I have this tool, but that's all it gets to do. Then I now managing my shortcuts here, have to go and execute that, that thing. I don't actually have to execute it. All I have to do is just to return a response. I can return a response that says error, couldn't do it. I could return a response that says, I did it. Here's the new state, whatever sort of my contract is. I will submit the response. Now the, the chat GPT agent can actually, or the assistant can go and continue on with its messages saying, I did it or sorry, I couldn't do that. I can, I encountered an error, whatever it is, but that's how it's all together. So hopefully that helps make it a little bit less mystery, mysterious, but it uh, also Roman, shows you that's how, thank you. So uh, go ahead, finish. Yeah. I was just going to say, it shows you how you can actually piece these things together. So they're like, they're more like tangible. Yeah. And so you build those tools, you give the assistant kind of the, the knowledge of those tools. 
And one of the things that I just spent to the top of the space is this thing from Lama Index. We all know, hopefully, Lama Index by now, that uh, they also allowed us to parallel function calling. So now the API can return multiple functions that you have to run on your own, on your own kind of machine, basically receiving functions back and then running via your own APIs. And somebody, Shashank, in the comments said, for a smart home example, you can play music, turn on lights and smart devices in parallel. So you can ask the model to return to you basically a scene, and this scene will be concluding over super several things at once. Right, go ahead, and then we'll move on. That's right. Yeah, because right now in the, basically when you call the threads run steps list, it actually just runs the steps in like a, a specific list. It's not asynchronous. Yeah. It doesn't run those. It's, it's a step, and then you can watch that step status. Like, this needs to be done, basically. It's not going to do it for you. You need to do it, but you're right. It can actually give you multiple steps there. So it could say, turn on this light, turn on that light, turn on that speaker with this song, turn on this thing. So you would then run all those things together and give back a response and you actually have to give it all together. But yeah, it's, it's, it's all actually just functions. Like you said, so they've already been doing this. They've already made it uh, simple code interpreters, a function retrieval is a function. That's the interface. And your new functions are also functions. Uh, one also <laughs> highlight I think uh, worth noting out is you can mark some functions as um, uh, important or, or uh, highly engaging, so the user will have to like um, agree to them. So this also comes up in their UI, but you can do this via the API as well. Uh, so when basically the safety mechanism you can use for your users as well, so that before the agent decides to run the function back on your own hardware, the user will, will be able to note and you'll have this info via the API. So this is the assistance API. There's more to it, but we, we cannot cover all of it, right? Documentation is, is incredible. However, I think it's important to know that you can either create those via the API. They've also built a great playground that you can play and actually with the UI build those assistants and play around with them. And that's pretty cool. However, that's only one side of the agent stuff. Uh, I think maybe I want to ask folks on stage if you have anything else about the system that we haven't covered, or I think we've talked, we've geeked out enough, right? Yeah, we geeked out enough. Okay. Roman, last thing. Yeah. You, you said that GPTs are not assistants. I, I think they're probably implemented by this exact same system, but GPTs are just managed by OpenAI. Like so, all of those tools, so I have, I have, fine. I have knowledge of this from the folks in OpenAI who told me they're basically the same, but they're not the same and they have different capabilities and they didn't join them. And so I just want to clarify this at this point, whether or not we know or not, don't know how they implemented behind the scene, I want to just highlight this point. When folks talk about assistance and GPTs, currently they're different things and you cannot create a GPT programmatically nor will an assistant that you create via the API will appear in the future marketplace. That, that, that's the highlight that I want to separate. That makes sense. Yeah, but just speculating on how they work. That's the, all the, they're doing. Roman, is... if you don't mind, let's, let's put up the speculation for later. I just want to run through a bunch of updates more about GPTs, okay? So right. let's go, let's talk about GPTs for a second. GPTs are basically agents that OpenAI gave everybody who is able to type just a few words into an assistant the ability to create their own systems. And I think it's fucking exciting. Sorry for swearing here, but like, I think it's fucking exciting. So far we've talked about everything that developers can do. Developers can go, they can create like whatever APIs, they have the API keys, like all these things that you need as a developer, function call, like all these things, they can get, uh, create agents. And we have many companies in San Francisco, obviously building agents and awesome. It's awesome. And we're going to see a bunch of stuff that uh, the developer community creates. However, 
I think they went one step further with GPTs and I find it remarkable. I think it's an incredible marketing push to name them GPTs because everybody else was making, naming their thing a GPT, right? Auto GPT, this GPT, that GPT. So OpenAI just came out and said, you know what? Everybody gets a GPT, like Oprah. You get a GPT, that one gets a GPT. So GPT is what they are essentially is agents that you create in the interface. So uh, no coders in the audience, folks who don't write code, folks who just like type prompts, everything, you will be able to create a GPT by yourself by talking to the GPT builder or builder GPT, right? So they actually trained a, a GPT that builds and helps you build GPTs that you can talk to, and it has the tools of setting up your GPT and write prompts for it. And so what, what does a GPT have that the system don't have? Let's talk about the differences. GPTs have access to tools as well. So the tools that they have access to is browsing with Bing, which is incredible. You can build a GPT that actually can browse the web. You can build a GPT that uses DALI, for example. Assistants don't have access to DALI, so you have to manage this by yourself. Not only that they have browsing in DALI, they also have a shared context. For example, the GPT that I created, maybe some of you saw already, the GPT has, it's called a, Luigi, you probably remember this one. It's called a visual weather assistant, where you just type a name of a city and it goes uh, and it's trained to go and search that city in Google and get the current weather and current time, and then create a DALI image based on that specific uh, weather, for example. It took me a little bit more time than, I don't know, 30 minutes to actually create this GPT. And the reason was OpenAI was like suffering a load and everything. And so this is the reason why it took so long, but it honestly doesn't take that much. You talk with this builder GPT and the interface like looks like ChatGPT, and you tell it what you want your GPT to do. The limit is your imagination. So the tools that it currently has uh, on GPT, let's talk about this. So there's DALI, you can turn on and off. There's browsing and there's also code interpreter. So your GPTs that you've created, they also can run code interpreter. Uh, Luigi, go ahead and then I'll, I'll share the, the example of mine. Hello, hello. I'm hearing someone. I'm not sure who that is. Oh, sorry. My, hey, I didn't have my microphone plugged in. Okay. Yeah. So there's actually, I think, technically one other thing that you didn't mention there. So there's the three things that you just mentioned now. And then there's also technically the, the knowledge retrieval, which you can upload files to the GPT and then pretty much, yeah. Like, yes. you can have access. So, so GPTs, thank you, Luigi. GPTs allow you at the configuration time upload files for retrieval. And unlike, okay, so look at what OpenAI is doing here. The marketplace GPTs, will they have a marketplace for them coming up with like revenue share, right? They're, they're going after this like huge app store, basically. The marketplace for GPTs, when you guys run the GPT that I just posted on top of the space, like the visual weather GPT, I don't pay for it. I don't pay for hosting. I don't pay for anything because I don't pay for retrieval. I don't pay for files. I don't pay for any of this. It's basically built into the cost of the user. So I can upload a bunch of files there. And that GPT that's existing inside OpenAI platform is basically free for me as a creator. Unlike the GPT as a developer that I have to pay for and I have to manage the cost and everything. I, I don't think that they announced any plans to have GPTs paid. The other side is true. They announced a revenue share. And so you'd be able to run this GPT. And if people actually pay you, and they will because people pay for plugins, there's paid plugins, like all these things, GPTs will basically replace the whole plugin ecosystem. Then you'll get some revenue share from them. I think given that I spent, I don't know how many hours at late at night give, uh, building GPTs, I think this, this is a huge, huge move from OpenAI and a non-developer related move. Go ahead, Luigi, and then we'll, we'll talk more. Yeah, I think you were saying, 
I'm not sure if you said that they could pay for the GPTs, but uh, unless we talk to somebody at OpenAI about this, I'm pretty sure from what I was seeing in the event, it seems like they're saying that all GPTs will just be free, at least for now on the marketplace. But, but sorry, but based on how much, like how much popularity that each GPT gets, then you get a revenue share, like from OpenAI themselves of just like having a really popular GPT. Revenue share from OpenAI themselves. Oh, probably from the people who pay 20 bucks a month. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And hopefully the visual weather one that's already getting popular, there's already 166 chats on it. Folks, feel free to check out visual weather. I just want to talk about the ease of creating this and one highlight, just like one amazing point that hopefully you all get access very soon if you didn't get it yet. When you create a GPT and you talk to the GPT builder, you don't have to talk to it. There's a form, there's like a tab system. There's a form and there's a conversation to build this GPT. One of the coolest things is to create an image for it. And we've, we've all used DALI. We only got DALI a month ago, right? That's still incredible to me that you can talk to an image creation process. But now there's a, I think a fine-tuned version of DALI there that generates images for those GPTs and you can talk to it and suggest like, hey, based on the stuff that you told me that your GPT should do, let's say you want to build a GPT that, that's like a Thursday AI editor helper. I started building a GPT that will help me edit this, this podcast for you guys. And it has the context based on my speaking style, all these things. And it says, hey, based on the stuff that you want to do, here's an attempt at an image. And you say, no, I actually want this image. I want that image. And it does this for you in like a, this back and forth. This, this is just an incredible fun to just sit there and generate icons for your GPTs. Go ahead, Ray. I think you have a comment. Yo, yo. Yeah. I was wondering, do you know if they're going to open up the ability to get, uh, API access out? If I have an iOS app and I want to have it talk to your GPT, can I just pull files in? Definitely. That's a strong separation. The assistant agents that you can create via API, though they're API-able, yeah. GPTs yeah. are in their platform. They live inside the chat app on the iPhone, they live the, yeah. the ChatGPT interface on the web, and that's their whole ecosystem play, I think, here. I think it's genius okay. because everybody wanted their GPT. Uh, Alex, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, just what... And, and then go ahead. Yeah. Hi, uh, guys. I'm, I'm based in London, and I'm in a, in a start mode. I've been in machine learning for almost 12 years, mainly in the finance and management sector, and, and working a lot on the Azure API services and, and, and the OpenAI services as well and implementing some of the, some of the open source models as orchestration models in the background. Just one, one point on pulling the files or, or using any other thing. There is a, there is a nice little system. I wouldn't call it hack, but actually GPT has a possibility of accessing the plugins through actions. So you can create the actions in GPT, which can call on your plugin actually. And your plugin allows you to have upload of files or access external services or external APIs. So that's a nice little, uh, let's call it a backdoor or a connection that you can build. And, and we have done some experimentation with, with that, with some of the, some of the plugins we have, and it works seamlessly. It's, it's wonderful. It's just uh, mind blowing. And I would just add one more thing, Alex. Let me, let me just uh, comment on this real quick. I think yeah, that's a sure. very interesting point. And thank you for bringing this up. Actions are replacement for plugins. They said this, I think on stage, I don't know if it was a keynote or not. Actions are basically like plugins 2.0. And I think they understood that plugins are not discoverable and not linkable. You couldn't link to a plugin and plugins were like hidden in like a dropdown. It was a whole not, not that great of thing, but many people the developed plugins understood how easy it is to give GPT kind of powers outside of GPT. The same examples we used before with assistants, right? Let's say Spotify 
or finishing a task in Asana or doing some stuff like this, you can, you can build an API to do that. Or if you have a company that has their own API and you want to expose a GPT that knows about your company and also can do actions within your company, I don't know, do tasks, reach out to people, send things to Slack, you, you could do that now. And the way to do this is to create those actions, like, like Raju said. And you create them with the same way you created plugins before, which is a, a JSON schema object from open API that you basically already have to just copy and paste. And then the model, the GPT that you create will now have these type of goods. You'll have web browsing, you have dialing image generation, you have code interpreter, you have retrieval because you can upload files and it has actions to whatever you wanted to do, like internally for your own company from within the chat GPT interface. And I think many paid actions will come because the actions also have authentication. So you can actually authenticate action. I don't know if you can think authenticate users yet, like plugins, whereas maybe you can talk about that. Have you seen authentication scheme for users like plugins have? What we did with plugins is that uh, we built it for one of the UK-based company uh, a solution and uh, they wanted to give tiered solutions. So we have built a kind of authentication key inside it. Uh, although it's not very as secure as um, as uh, as a proper user authentication or anything, but it, you can definitely tier it to, uh, let's say, uh, subscription levels, for example. So you can have unique subscription key that could be given to a set of users, and they will have they will only see that part of the process. So that's something that we have built. But the solution was for the internal use of the company. It's a pretty large company, so they had really wide audience. And, and we did it. So basically in last two days, what we did is we built a GPT and, and connected the plugin with that and it works seamlessly. So that's, that's basically the solution that we, we structured at the moment. There is no clear direct calling to authentication API and then restrict the access. That's not, I don't think that's possible from my understanding of working with it for last, last yeah, I haven't three seen days so or 72 hours, but yeah. But if you so were I, to have a separate shortcut or separate, sorry, separate function that were to return some sort of credential and then use that to, to basically. So functions are assistant API as Roman, we're talking about actions, actions are like, it's confusing because they basically look the same and they have like capabilities that are the same. Some have different capabilities, but assistants and, and GPT. So you're talking about actions. If you have an action that returns a, a key. Yeah. An action that's as, a, as part of the conversation. Your, your assistant asks, Hey, you want to use that tool? Okay. I have to fetch credentials. Is that okay? And then it makes that call. It gets the credentials and now it can actually access some of those other tools. But you yes. can't, you can't, you can't secure it because there's no way for, for you to get the user credentials without open AI looking at it. So that's not really an authenticated, um, what you call it, the tunnel authentication. So that's not there yet, unfortunately. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, so that's one thing to call out that plugins had definitely had. You were able to start a plugin, then go to the website of the plugin, log in with your credentials, come back, and now you're authenticated against the plugin. GPTs don't have that yet, assuming they will at some point. I will wrap up the whole GPT thing with this. It's so fun. It's so fun to create them. Literally for my mom, it would be fun to create them once you, you don't have to be like a developer. It's literally no code. Some code if you want to get custom actions, but literally no code and it lives in, inside the open AI platform. And because of the input output voice capabilities now, they live inside the mobile app as well. And so you can use those GPTs and you can talk to them. Like you can talk to a human being, like you can talk to characters, AI, et cetera. You can literally have a conversation like, like a FaceTime conversation with those GPTs. So you can create GPTs with a specific style. I think it will be up to the user to, to select the voice, 
but you can you can actually talk to the GPT or, or sorry, your friends, your customers, whatever, whoever you send the GPT link to, they be able to talk to those GPTs voice wise. So you can create the GPTs that are conversational or otherwise. Very exciting. And we're gonna see a lot of them pop up. Literally, the marketplace is gonna be one. There's gonna be a bunch of GitHub places and awesome lists for GPTs, and I think there already are a bunch. There's hackathons right now. One of the people in the hackathon said, I want to build a hundred GPTs. And so he built a GPT to help him generate GPT ideas. So it's all downhill from here. And it's all awesome. And I really, really love this, the fact that you can link to them. So everybody will have a personal one. Thursday AI is going to have one that everything we talk about, every time you're like, hey, what's that thing we talked about on Thursday AI three weeks ago? You will have a Thursday AI GPT assistant that will help you find out that link with Retrieval. Less comments on GPTs, guys, and we'll move on to some more incredible stuff. We got the over here. We're not done yet. Shameless plug. I just made a GPT that does the meal planning for you. So you could just tell it, I can't live without pizza and I have celiac disease and it's just going to make a meal plan for you, for you, if you want to lose weight and figure out your total daily expenditure and all that stuff. So I guess I'll pin it up into the, the chat here. All right. All right. Shameless plug. You deserve one. You deserve one. Yeah. Ray, restrung the whole. The whole open-night keynote for us and held the space with a very radiophonic uh, voice. Welcome, welcome. Luigi, go ahead and then we'll move to the next capabilities that we got. Yeah, I did actually just want to mention, and this is still somewhat related with the whole thing, like agents, or sorry, assistants, GPTs, everything, the knowledge retrieval aspect. OpenAI did actually put out a joint paper with Google DeepMind just a few weeks ago called Fresh LLMs or Fresh Prompt, one of those two. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think that's actually relevant to the knowledge retrieval system that they might actually be using in the back end. Because with that paper, they pretty much showed a new way to be able to do knowledge retrieval and stuff with not just accessing a database of information, but also even internet information. And they showed like higher retrieval scores than even what perplexity can get and stuff like that, like perplexity.ai. Yeah, I think that's interesting and might be what they're using in the back end. Yeah, so retrieval, I think, is huge because basically it's GPTs with memory and building that memory yourself is a pain in the ass, like we said before. So now in assistance, but also in GPTs, you get like a very, you get literally drag and drop a PDF file. Literally that. I did yep. this for mark, markdown files. It, it's incredible. Listen, go ahead. Alex, you, you got a link to that paper? Let's just you post it. Right, yeah, just, we'll just look up fresh LLMs. All um, one word. Link a... I, I'll just drop one more, one more uh, interesting thing that we have, we have done in the last 72 hours that could be useful to many. So about the retrieval and the thread and the memory part and the, and the, and the cost of storing the documents and everything. So something that we have done is the threads do return something known as annotations, which is basically when there is, you get the response, the response is tagged to a particular part of your document. So you can store those annotations. So basically what we have built is because we are dealing with a very large knowledge base in, in, in the application that we are, we are developing. So we are storing everything into Azure cloud actually, and we are using the annotations to make a link. So we upload the documents to the threads, uh, for that temporary, uh, building of the pipeline. And as soon as the pipeline is built and we have the responses, we bring it back out of the, uh, open AI, uh, storage. So basically you hardly incur any cost because you store it for just, uh, anywhere from few minutes to just few hours. So that's one little hack that, that you can employ if you're developing application, which involves, um, accessing large amount of documentation. So just, just for the sake of the audience, we're back on the API level in the systems API and threads and everything. You're saying there's like a way to not incur, uh, storage continuously by uploading, getting retrieval, 
getting annotations back from the API, storing those annotations, and then linking to your documents in like the, the cheaper storage, like S3 or et cetera, right? Abs absolutely. And annotations are, are coming as a part of uh, response in the API. So you, you, can, you can attach the annotations. It's very simple, like two lines of code. Awesome. So we're, we're back just briefly, and thank you for sharing this. We're back just briefly on the API and, and getting some, some tips for how to use them. Al, uh, Cheng, welcome up to the stage. You haven't been with us for a while. You, you have comments about GPTs? Hey, Alex. Yeah. Sorry, I got here late. I, I think, I don't know if you guys talked about it or not, but I think one of the amazing things is that these things can also improve without you doing anything as, as OpenAI improves the, the sort of hardware and software and the algorithms like behind it, which I think having that centralized thing, just like your computers, as the hardware gets better, your software can do more in an absolute sense that our GPTs will be more functional as they improve the retrieval and they improve the algorithms behind it without us having to do anything. I think that's probably if you guys haven't talked about it. I think it's a good, good call out. Good call out. Uh, thank you all. I think the good call out to specifically also talk about the assistance API. You can choose the model. So you can choose whether or not this is like GPT 3.5 or 4 or 4 Turbo, et cetera. And now for GPTs, I think it's only 4 Turbo. And I think maybe a fine-tuned version of 4Turbo actually becomes a GPT, embodies a GPT. And that is definitely living within the OpenAI ecosystem. You're playing with their playground. You're playing within their sandbox. They're not exportable. Somebody asked in the audience whether or not you'd be able to host GPTs on your website. I don't think so. I haven't seen anything. Somebody in OpenAI told me that maybe they will come to a conclusion where you could maybe create them with API and then host them. But for now, those are two... Uh, there's like one walled garden and one semi-walled garden, let's say. Uh, and the walled garden is like specifically, I think, GPT-4 only. You're not able to select GPT-3.5 for GPTs. Um, yeah, can I, I just uh, add that OpenAI has been out of service for the last day or so, like spotty service and stuff. So yeah, go ahead, go and rely on, on OpenAI all you want, but then you're going to get fucked over once they... Uh, mess up on, on certain aspects or they just deprecate the model that you've been used to just because they think it's too powerful or they censor certain things that they don't think they that you should be able to access. Having that naive kumbaya view of oh they're gonna you're just you just just join be one of them right I, I don't think that's the way to to go I think that's actually the the downfall of open AI. Interesting interesting choice of words there for real thank you and I will just comment on this one last thing. And, and uh, Pharrell, I agree with you because open source is important. We've talked about this. This is an open air celebration. So it's not easy for some because we got like a bunch of tools and excitements. But I personally think we need both. And I agree with you completely that I won't be able to create the GPT that helps me, I don't know, protect my house with a weapon, for example, right? Or do some different things or some stuff that open air doesn't agree to. Definitely, there is still a place for building your own agents outside of the the GPT ecosystem, and there's definitely, definitely a good boost to the ecosystem right now with the way they implemented this, because the way they implemented this will teach about the ability to run agents, many, many people, and that will affect open source as well. Like we've seen with multimodalities, which is Roman, we'll, we'll skip, sorry, let's skip the question. We're going to move to multimodality. And the reason why I had a uh, here left, oh, Robert, you're still here. Cool. The additional incredible fucking thing that we haven't talked about and we've been, been waiting since March 14th is multimodality. We haven't talked about this. We finally got Vision API. We finally got Vision API and I couldn't be more happier. And Roman here, uh, Robert here on stage will talk about his cool thing. And that's why I invited him. I've been waiting for multimodality in API for the longest time. 
And so I just want to highlight that assistance, I believe also, but because uh, you can upload images, but please somebody correct me if I'm wrong, definitely GPTs and definitely GPT-4, the multi... Luigi, remember in the days of a week ago where we got access to the old tools and we're gonna, we, we thought that's all we're going to talk about this, this day. Uh, so all tools mode in GPT, the regular GPT and GPTs and assistants, all of them have access to vision APIs. I'm not sure assistants do, but somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Vision basically allows you to, your GPT to understand an image and some text and combinations together. And not only that, all GPTs are MMIO, they're multimodal input and output. If you enable the DALI version, like the visual weather as artist GPT that I posted, they're, they're multimodal input and output. You can upload an image and say, hey, here's an image of a thing. It will generate something that's also going to be an image, right? So we've got like multimodality and uh, Luigi, go ahead. And I want to talk to Robert about the cool stuff that he did with vision. Yeah, I guess. So for now, you're about to talk about vision, but unless we are not going to cover it later, there's also a bunch of other modalities that I'm surprised they also made through the API. So now TTS, so you can like talk to it through whispers and you can get it to speak back to you. And yeah, all those things are available now. Yeah. So on the output. So here's a, here's a problem that, that I have with this. Those modalities are spread across multiple things, right? TTS is another API we got, text-to-speech. They're going after 11 labs and, and all the PhD and all these things. They only gave us five or six voices. And I think there's a hidden voice called the pirate that they didn't give us, which is super cool. We, we heard it in a demo. And you are able to now generate voices. These voices, unlike 11 labs and everything else, they can speak other languages as well, and they sound the same. And it's really funny because they speak Russian and Hebrew and all the other languages that I know in an American accent. It's really, really funny. But yes, absolutely, you'll be able to concatenate, look, build agents and have those agents speak to you, not GPTs. GPTs will live within their ecosystem and speak to you from the user's uh, API. Uh, multimodality in the output as well. So you can output text, you can output... Generally, you have to build this yourself, but you can output uh, voice. And, and, and DALI imagery and multimodality on the input. And here I want to talk about vision and uh, Robert, welcome to the stage. Please, I think you introduce yourself, you're building cool shit. And I want to talk to you about the stuff that you built with, first of all, with open source models, because we have Pharrell and Nisten and use some of Luigi's stuff, I think as well, but then also how, how you creatively use GPT for vision to do some cool stuff. So please, please tell us. Yeah. Thank you. I'm actually very honored. So yeah, the, the, about the open source stuff. I think three days before the OpenAI presentation, I just went to the GitHub and I checked out the Llama CBB and I noticed that there is like an open pull request with the, with the Lava model. And I was like, hey, will back Lava model work with it? And I thought like I could use some, some inspiration from Nisten and his post which went viral about the medical stuff. And I was like, I can try to build this and uh, use my web camera as an input. And I just built a demo basically. <laughs> on my laptop in a few hours. And it was like pretty simple. I just had to find a few models in the hugging face. But in the end, like combining all of these together was pretty hard. And eventually it ran and I posted it on Twitter and Reddit and it just blew up and the people got amazing responses. And then I decided to like make a tutorial for it. And apparently many, like for me, it was actually a novelty. So many people wanted to do this stuff without like even knowing how to code in Python and they were just get started. They get inspired by the powerness. If you think about it, the path from having a web camera and transforming it to text for a human who is not familiar with coding, is actually like a pretty long and complex path. It's like unimaginably complex. So like many people got, I, I posted it on GitHub 
it got a lot of support and I hope like many people get started with their ideas. And I think even like Greg Brockman, the, the open Rika founder of OpenAI, quoted the tweet of my of my friend, which which was about the same stuff, web camera and uh, and the input. Yeah, this is the open source stuff, the the baklava. And then and then let's move on to the Vision API. From that, we got access to this insanity. I saw multiple examples from folks who were like narrating a match by just like taking frames. What, what did you build there? Did you use the same kind of tool that you already built, or did you build? Oh no, you built something else. You built something that's super cool. Tell us, tell us. Yeah, so I actually did something I was working on for a pretty long time. It was like a semantic search on the web page. And after the OpenAI presentation, I was like, damn, I have to, this is like amazing API. I know the exact implementation I can do. I can take a screenshot from the page and send it to GPT-4 Vision, and it will tell what does it see. And I just quickly scrapped a Chrome extension and added the support for the screenshots. And eventually just combined together, it all worked like magic. I was like, I was going to any website, I was triggering a shortcut. I, I don't know, I selected even like some kind of furniture or even a house. And I was like, what style is this house in? And it was like, this is Norvik style of housing. It's like pretty conservative or something. And I was like, this is like pure magic. It's like, it's like next level. And uh, I posted it again and it again went viral. And uh, I was like super happy that apparently this stuff is helpful. And I think I found something useful people want. So can we, can we use the extension, Robert? Oh, you can sign up for the private beta. The GPT-4 vision is in private beta and there is very hard limits. So you can sign up for the beta and I'll give you access. There is like 700 more people in the queue. Awesome. So uh, when, uh, when's the Baklava version of that? <laughs> <laughs> this is a good question. I think it's pretty, <laughs> it's a little bit harder with Baklava because people are not ready to set up like that. Love if you don't laptop for just the Chrome extension, but uh, if open source will do it, uh, I'll be happy to support. Yeah. And Robert, there's also, there's a 3 billion parameter model that I worked on called Obsidian and that can actually work on phone too. And so if you end up doing stuff with that and want to use stuff offline without internet on your phone, then yeah, that might be something worth looking into. So we have, we had the Arthur here before and Baklava, I think could run on the actual Mac within the context window, within the, sorry. I'm all confused <laughs> within the, the browser itself. So you can run Baklava with Wasm and do this like all thing, all, all of this offline with no API keys at some point. Robert, thank uh, you so much actually, for Go ahead. Uh, actually, no, you, you, Wasm has a four gig limit in the memory. So you need to, you need to run LDJ's Obsidian on that. Obsidian, not Baklava. Yeah, because that one's a 3B and that, that one will actually fit within the limits of, of the, the web. I had, some, I had some more news on this that I'll share in the show notes. I met somewhere in San Francisco and I think they're training like a one, one billion parameter multimodal model that is going to be very interesting as something I forgot. I'll in the show notes. I think they're about to release this either today or, or tomorrow. Definitely, we'll bring them on to Thursday I once they release this to see, and that would be amazing to run. And I think, Mr. Do we get updates that now Chrome, the official Chrome version, already runs FP16 with no flags? Would that, would that also an update from this week? That's Chrome Canary and Arthur noticed it first. I've, I've been in touch with their team here and there, but now in Chrome Canary, you just install Chrome Canary and if you go to weblmlc.ai, you can actually just run your stuff in your browser without having to run it from the command line. No, no I, I, I will say, 
I will say for the folks who the last few conversations or sentences like flew above their heads, basically we're talking about running like running models locally, not only LLMs, vision models as well. And we've talked with multiple folks. Zenova is a, a usual, I think it was here before, Arthur Islamo, folks who are building models that are small enough to run on your computer without having to store them within OpenAI. And that's also coming and coming fast. And so all the incredible use cases for multimodality that folks like Robert are building and some other folks are building, they use vision to do creative stuff, to understand imagery will also come to open source, will also come in coming already to multimodal kind of models and open source. I, I find it incredible to see that the open source doesn't lag as far behind and they're also coming. So vision API, I think we covered most of it. Robert, any, any last things that you want to talk about or like many future plans? Yeah, yeah, about plans? future plans. So there is one pull request in Lama TV, which in Llama TV, which I'm very excited about, and it's called Web GPU support, and it's like almost finished. So I, I, I believe like in a few months, when community will move it forward, we will have Llama CVP running on Web GPU, and this is this is huge. Also, there's a, a time grad uh, working Web GPU kernel for anybody else out there that wants to play with this stuff. But yeah, All right. I'll, follow, I'll be following that, uh, that PR as well, Rob. So we'll talk about this when it lands. Um, all right. So back to, back to announcement of OpenAI. I think tiny, tiny thing. Whisper version three was released. It's not a full new model. It's a continued tune of Whisper. So it's better on many things than Whisper large V2. If you see people saying, oh, we already have Whisper three, it's super easy. The literally transformers from OpenAI already supports it and just changing the title. So if you re-download Whisper, you'll get Whisper three. It's better on multiple benchmarks. I don't know if it's faster. I don't think it's faster at all, but it's, a, it's just like better on the Fleur's benchmark and the common voice benchmark. So you'll get a better quality Whisper just by re-downloading Whisper or specifying Whisper large V3. So. We speculated whether or not we're going to see any open source from OpenAI, and I was very happy to see that Whisper was open source. Thank you. Whoever works on this on OpenAI, my personal thanks. I love Whisper. I love working with this. I think, I'll, I think I'll, that's I'll quickly, enough. I'll, I'll quickly say that Whisper V3, there's not much changes you're going to see in English, but you're going to see changes in other languages. It's, it's much more accurate in, in other languages, especially stuff like technical terms. But I did not notice any difference between V3 and V2 large because V2 large is already an excellent model. I think, I think a medium even on English is just like incredible, almost perfect all the time. I, I agree with you. There's not that much place for them to improve it on English and just speed probably is what we need from them. And also speed, if you do, if you only do English, then you can go to distill whisper and distill whisper is only English with so six times faster. We talked about distill whisper last time. Folks, I think we've covered OpenAI. I'll just cover it with these two things. Open source is here to stay and OpenAI's after party was a very, in, in the, the Young Museum. It was a buttoned up everything. There's a, a band playing, a jazz band. There's like a Sam Altman came and just talked to people. It was a very like buttoned up like affair. And uh, the folks from News Research, Luigi represents them here. I think some other folks like Koran and Imozilla and Technium, the Technium, Technium, it's not Technium, it's Technium. He told me they're all, all in San Francisco. I said, hey, let's use the opportunity that like everybody flew in for open the ice thing and just have a counterparty and keep open source free and with the E slash act people and Mark and Dreesen, like some other folks. And so I found it very interesting. The same day the dev day happened, they're also like the biggest open source keep, open, keep AI open party. Literally the domain is keepaiopen.com happened in San Francisco in a club and Grimes was the DJ and there was like news research 
signatures everywhere and folks were dancing. It was like signs of keeping the eye open. And I loved it. I have a new Swissers t-shirt and I met all my friends from new Swissers, people who came up on stage before. And we've talked about the young paper in Mozilla. We've talked with Technium about different things. I know his name now. It, it was really, really, really awesome. And just shout out to, to all of the friends who organized this. It felt to me that Pharrell and previously you said this as well. Both are needed to me. I think that uh, OpenAI shows the way to many people and some people want safety for the kids, etc. But also, I think that we don't want to trust them with everything. And there's models that you want to do, like Trismestus from News Research, which is trained on the occult stuff. And OpenAI will never let you talk about resurrecting flies and, and different things. And sometimes we want to have some fun as well. I really loved kind of the, the, the contrast between the two things. And I think it was well done. And I, I saw... People from Open the Eye, actually the open, open, keeping the eye open party, and I saw back and forth, and I was lucky, lucky to be involved, and I'm very, very happy with that day. And I'm sure that next year, hopefully, an even bigger party for Open the Eye will, will, for actual Open the Eye, will happen from Keep AI Open. Uh, I think with that, we've concluded that day, and we have one more thing to talk about. And oh my God, this, we have two more things to talk about. There's a Chinese. Uh, unicorn company with released a model 34B. Well, is it Yi Zero, right? Something like that. I think you talked about this recently. Who, who finds those Yi? It's Yi 34B uh, by Zero One AI, which is the Zero Chinese AI. company. I think they're based in Hong Kong. And yeah, like they they made an announcement recently where they open sourced their model. What's notable is Hugging Face basically updated their benchmarks and you know how I feel about benchmarks, but still, and it, it did show like the, this, some models went down in performance because they were optimizing for the benchmarks on the Hugging Face leaderboard. But then you had also surprises, including Yi, and uh, I'll leave it for you now if you want, I can talk more, but yeah. Yeah. Let's talk more about this for, for a second. So Yi, it was a Chinese unicorn. I, I don't know if it's multi-model or just the text. But it, it came out like with, with great fanfare. Unfortunately for them, it came out the same day that the same week the OpenAI had and Grok came out and some other things. But it's a, it's a good model. I don't know if you, uh, we saw some fine tones, but I think some folks in the audience are working on some fine tones. So we'll see some stuff from, from me as it comes out. And Hug and Paste also collaboration. And the open leaderboard, open, open, and what is it called? Open LLM leaderboard, I think. That's the one they refreshed with multiple other benchmarks. And they saw that already there was a, like a cheating thing, basically. People use those benchmarks, train them into the model, and then took the top spaces. And it's good to see that now the the surprises, like you said, the E model is up there. Also, shout out to the folks that we've talked to, Open Platypus, and, and the Platypus folks from GarageBain that we talked to, and their model is now back on top. I think it's like number four still. It's their Llama 2 fine-tune that they did, and we've talked about them as well. And now we're going to see like a new... A new race to the top, basically, based on the new uh, benchmark. Yeah, what what I would add to that is, literally, we we don't have a single Yi fine tune. Right? There's there's no one that's fine tuned it or released a model yet. Once we do, expect an even like I, I do expect uh, uh, some some very very performant models. I have I'm still playing around with the Yi itself and uh, trying to really get the hang of it, but it seems to not have the same challenges that Mistral had when fine-tuning. So like, it, 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 we'll, we'll see, but I'm excited for sure. 
just just to add what Shank said, because Mistral brings us back. Uh, we have been using Mistral ever before, even before the release in the open source, because uh, I've been associated with Mistral in Paris for for a long time now. And uh, as soon as Evil was released, we had a particular test pipeline which was which we were developing, and that was the right moment. It was just coincidence that it got released at the same time. So we put it head to head, to head building two set, two parallel pipelines to see how it. It works, and even the without any kind of fine tuning, and our Mistral model that we have employed is fully fine tuned on the pipeline that we have. It performed quite well. I, I would say around eighty-five percent accuracy compared to Mistral. For the use case that we have, it it worked really, really well. And the use case is on customer service, basically. So it worked extremely well on that. And that, that's the thirty-four B, correct? Because they have yeah, yeah, seven B yeah, with two yeah thirty-four. Yeah. yeah, 34B, and we are also, tr we, so currently we are testing on, on a large kind of a content summarization case. We are using that 200K, and, and that's showing some promising signs at the moment. I, I, would, I would go by the, by the current leaderboard. I would say, yeah, they are scoring pretty well, actually. At the uh, I'm just curious, are you comparing quantized 34B versus full fine-tuned Mistral, or like full precision Mistral, or is it full precision for both? No, Mistral is is full precision, fine tuned on the on the use case that we have that we were doing doing for almost a couple of weeks now. We are preparing it for for the prod, and and then this was released. So we said we have some space vis a vis the project timeline. So why not incorporate that into it? So we just took the we just took the as it is version and and implemented it. So it it's just working out of the box right now. All right. Folks, we have 15 minutes left and I'm about to cover. Raj, thank you so much for yeah. coming. And also, if you do have partnership with Mistral, tell them we love them and they should join Thursday. I literally, we talk about Mistral probably every week. And it's incredible the amount of fine tunes and the quality that this this model had. And also how good this is. And also, we can't wait for them to release the bigger versions and to see what else they come up with. And thank you for sounding out here as well and the comparison as well. You mentioned something about 200k. Context window? Did ye come out with like huge context things? I, I missed that. Yeah, they yeah. have a 200k yeah. version of it. I haven't looked into it too much myself, but I was actually just checking real quick because I'm like, wait, wait a second, maybe they're using Yarn or something. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, they apparently 200k version. Yeah, that's very impressive, folks. I think that so far the biggest context length open source model is 128k which was Yarn uh, Mistral or Yarn Llama. And now he is also like 200K tokens. Raj, maybe you can talk about like the, the quality of the of the perplexity there, like how much retrieval you actually get from those 200K. And also, what incredible hardware do you need to run this? Because it does not sound like it's cheap to run on 200K tokens. Uh, for the, uh, basically, uh, we are also in the um, Azure startup, one of the, one of the, uh, a project I have is in the Azure startup. So we have access to quite a bit of uh, computing power, fortunately, and uh, and we deployed on that. Uh, the, uh, so first of all, the standard well-known thing lost in the middle for longer context seems to be, at the moment, not so much affecting the retrieval on, on 200K in Yi. So we are quite happy with that. So that's that's first part. Second part is in terms of the computing power required. Surprisingly, once your contact length goes above like 
I would say 120K or something. We, we, are, we are facing some issues. So we are, I, I, I don't have the technical details yet because that's, that's handled by one of my team members. And I would, I would come back to you or I'll post something linking you once, once I have some benchmarks in place. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us and, and giving us both updates on open source and on, on open AI stuff with API. I really appreciate it. Luigi, go ahead and then we'll, we'll move on to Humane. Yeah, for sure. I also want to talk about Humane and I just wanted to wrap something up real quick on the 200K accuracy. So I'm actually looking at their benchmarks now that they actually released benchmarks comparing their 34B 200K version versus the 34B non 200K, just like regular AK context, I think. And there is a little bit of a sacrifice that looks like in certain areas, but overall it's almost the exact same average across the benchmarks and like maybe barely even 1% lost on, on any of the worst benchmarks. Oh, that kind of tallies up, tallies up to what we are finding actually. All right. So before we get to humane and we have not that much time left, let's talk about GitHub because also something that happened this week, just like behind the radar is GitHub universe and GitHub has Copilot. And not only that, and not only the fact that many people in the world and by many, more than a hundred million developers pay for Copilot and are, we're all benefiting because we see just like many, many code products getting released and many, everybody was talking about how many raptors on GPT died. I think as many were enabled and now with Copilot and different tools, even more enabled to use those tools, a hundred million developers use Copilot around the world. And actually, if it works out next week, we're going to talk with Idan from the Copilot Next Team or GitHub Next Team, talk about some exciting stuff they're having. So shout out Idan, and hopefully we'll, we'll hear some more from him. Copilot was the main feature of GitHub Universe this week. GitHub basically said, we're, as GitHub was founded on Git, we're refounding GitHub on Copilot, which is a huge statement. And uh, they didn't announce a lot with that statement. I gotta say, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like, I expected more, I expected more. Those of us who have been with us for a while, we know that Cursor, for example, is a VS Code clone that has AI built in, AI tools, uses GPT-4 for a bunch of stuff. Copilot is lagging behind because it only auto-completes. Recently, there is something called Copilot X, which is a sidebar chat conversation that has context into your chats. And so the main thing that they announced for Copilot is Copilot chat is generally available December 23. So in a month, all of you who use Copilot and don't have yet Copilot X access or what used to be Copilot X, you'll have something called Copilot chat. Copilot chat is like a chat GPT interface. Those of you who still copy uh, back and forth from GPT-4 will now not have to. If you pay for Copilot, you'll have the chat interface within the VS Code and JetBrains IDE. That's also one announcement they did. If you use PyCharm, WebStorm, all these things, you also have Copilot in there, which is cool. Copilot, sorry, uh, chat, you already have Copilot in there. One incredible thing, they actually did announce some stuff. Okay, I'll give them that. They did announce some stuff. I love GitHub. I love Copilot. I've been loving Copilot for a while. They announced their Copilot chat is coming to GitHub Mobile. Literally, the kind of the, the mobile app that you have, you'll be able to chat with your code or some other codes. If you're like checking out some repository from somebody, let's say Robert who left the stage and he built a cool thing, you want to see how he implemented this, you'll be able to just like come into his repository on on your way to work in the subway and just like type, hey, what is this about? Tell me about these things. I think that's pretty cool. They also know that Copilot chat is becoming to the web as well. So on the web, you'd be able to ask questions about pull requests. You'd be able to ask questions about the code base and we'll have context in the Copilot about the whole code base. They had something that I didn't really fully get into. They have a partner program 
as you can extend Copilot, Copilot with the power of the GitHub ecosystem. I haven't seen any kind of partners yet, so I'm not sure what that's about. But usually when when something becomes for a product to an ecosystem, developers win and, and customers win. And I think that's mostly it. There's something about Copilot workspace with Vision, but unless somebody on the stage knows exactly what this is, I think we'll skip that and update this next time when I am able to have some more time to dig into this. But workspace with Vision. And I think the, the whole thing is it underlined with GPT-4. Copilot so far was Codex, and I think it moved to GPT-3.5 Turbo, and now Copilot Chat and Copilot itself will be GPT-4 Turbo, much more higher quality Copilot as well. A lot of updates for those of us who use Copilot. It has code-aware guidance and code generation, so it will know about your code, and you can talk to it. There's like slash commands. It's super cool. And I think that's most of the announcement on Copilot. And now let's switch gears to, I'm trying to do like a drum roll, right? Maybe you can help me out with a drum roll sound. We're switching gears to probably the first hardware AI device that we get that's actually available for launch. It's called Humane uh, from a company called Humane. And it's called, sorry, the pin from the company called Humane. And they announced it. And this was the reason why we're talking a bit uh, later today. They announced this, uh, this thing called pin, which is an AI device. And it has a bunch of new capabilities, and it's very exciting that it's there. And let's talk a bit about Humane. Luigi, you were, you, did you watch the, the slides? You want to cover this together? With or anybody else who did watch the slides on the video? Yeah, so unfortunately, I was messaging you, and I found out about the announcement and stuff 10 minutes before Thursday AI, and I only got like halfway through it. But I'm fine with spoilers, of course. But I, what I thought was really cool, which I wanted to note, is... From what I've seen so far, you can actually navigate through this interface through tilting your hand. And it's for more context, pretty much it has a, a blue projection device where you just put your hand out in front of you and the device just is magnetically attached to your chest, or your shirt, your sweater. And when you put your hand out in front of you, it projects this interface to your hand. And let's say by tilting your hand to the left or to the right, you're navigating to the button that's actually on the left or on the right. And then you can just tap your fingers together to select and it, it seems really intuitive. I really like it. So the same motion that we saw with Apple Vision Pro, the kind of the tap with the fingers, that's also like how you confirm things with Humane Spin. And Humane Spin is not only about the projection, so you don't actually have to project it to your hand. You can talk to it and I think you can tap it as well. So there's like multi-modality on how you interact with this device. And so what is this device? This device is basically an attempt to replace a smartphone because it comes with its own SIM powered by T-Mobile. And so you pay for it in addition to the price, which is like $16.99, $699, not $16, sorry, $699. So $700, pretty much think a smartphone, right? And it comes with a 24 bucks a month plan only from T-Mobile. So you get the SIM built into this device and you get a new phone number that people can contact you, etc. And it has AI built in. They finally talked about which AI is going to be the open AI partnership that they have. And it's going to be probably GPT-4 Turbo. It, I think it would make sense. It has a partnership with Tidal. So it's also a music device. You can It has a speaker so you can hear music together with people. But also it has a headphone integration so you can listen to music while you work out. I think they have a cool idea about the swappable battery as well. So you can swap the battery hot swap without the device turning off. So you have like two batteries. You can charge one in a charging case and then swap the other one real quick for the continuous kind of power up, which I think is pretty pretty cool. And many innovations, folks, many innovations like a device that's reimagined for the AI era. 
I don't know if it will replace the, the mobile phone for many people. I honestly don't because we'll see. You, you never know with these devices. You also didn't know with the iPhone. It was just cool. But many innovations like one thing that I personally like, and you guys know whoever on the stage, you can hold the pin while somebody talks to you in a different language. It will translate this on the fly with GPT to you and speak in your language. And then you can speak and it will translate it to that other person in, in your intonation, in their language. And they said they cover pretty much all the languages that GPT covers. I think they have like premium access to GPT because the demos, maybe the demos were like highlighted, but the demos were super, super fast as well. Ray, you have some comment on this before I move on? Yeah, definitely. I used to work at Apple and I actually worked closely with Imran on the Apple Watch. And he left Apple and started to start up and I had talked to them in 2019 about this product, but they couldn't really tell me what was going on. So it's really cool to actually see this here and see what's going on. And I don't think they, his intention is to replace a phone, but just to provide a different experience using AI um, to kind of sort of augment your reality. And something that's basically that he'd said before is also something that's not on your face, which was a big deal because you can see Meta that's doing their thing and then Snapchat with their little goggles and so forth. And so this will be very interesting. One thing that I wanted to also take note is that there's no apps. So they specifically mentioned that in the video saying that you don't like manage or download apps and put things in. It's all based on their cloud. So I was really curious about that as a developer. I was like, oh, can I develop stuff for this? And it sounds like this first version doesn't have that. Uh, they also have a cloud interface that will basically take your photos and videos and you can manage your stuff on there. Uh, and that's how you would also manage um, the interface. It looks like a bento UI interface. It looks like basically like a bento box. And that's where you'll see your collection of health stuff. Uh, you can actually point this device towards a handful of nuts and say how much protein is in here. And there's a, there's a specific call out on their website for health related features. And the only thing they really showed off was about the eating and nutrition types of things. I imagine they'll expand more over time, but that was just something I wanted to add as well. Thank you. you. You mentioned multiple things in passing, so I'll, I'll try to dissect them one by one. First of all, it has an AI assistant, which is GPT-4 based, which is miles over Siri. We all know Siri is stupid. We all, come on. Yes. Apple, we're, we're oh my God. It's, it's I agree. It's so dumb at this point. It's not even funny. And they have an assistant that's GPT-4 based. You can talk to it and say, hey, uh, give me a summary of my messages. You know, it gives you a summary. And then it has retrieval into your messages. So they literally vectorize all the messages. You can ask. If somebody shared a piece of information and link with you in your messages, uh, you can ask about this. However, here's the problem. And here's why I think it, it is an attempt to replace, right? Because when you get your own phone number, you'll have to get all your friends to start messaging you on that platform specifically. That's not going to be like iMessage, WhatsApp, whatever. And then only then you'll have some history, but you'll have to start building that history out for it to be like very mm -hmm. effective. And also, also it's multimodal as well. So like it has voice input and head camera and vision input, which is incredible. Imagine you're walking around the world with a multimodal AI on your pin and you can hold it and say, hey, what am I looking at? Which is basically what Robert just talked to us about with GPT-4 Vision. You now have a physical hardware device with a good camera that can do it. And they're focusing on the use cases that Ray, you talked about with like health. You can point out on food that you ate and say, hey, store those calories for me. And they do workouts as well. But it also the input of voice happens to have translation, which is super cool, but also happens to have notes. You can literally talk to it and say, Hey, remember for tomorrow, this thing. And then you'd be able to ask it, like, Hey, do you remember that thing? It will tell you, yes, that thing is now remembered in your memory. So you can augment your memory. I think they also show like a bunch of cool stuff. Luigi, go ahead. What, what else am I missing? Yes. I was just going to say the, 
the thing about whether or not it's going to replace the iPhone, uh, during his TED talk, he actually did a few months ago, I think he made a really good point, or I'm talking about Emron, the CEO of Humane, that the point was that the, the servers existed back in the 80s, or these room-sized computers, and then the desktop computer came around. But sure, it, it made a lot more useful applications for people. But when the desktop computer came around, it didn't fully replace servers. Servers still exist. And then when the laptop came around, didn't fully replace desktops, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think the, f the future might look like devices like Humane being popular and people owning a Humane device and like a phone. However, they can have the, like some people might choose to have the Humane device alone or might choose to probably just have a phone too without any Humane device. I think I will highlight this time that this is the first hardware device that we're getting and definitely not the last. So we for sure know some examples of uh, Avi in, in Newton in San Francisco is building Tab. We've talked about Tab, which is like a continuously listening device that augments your memory and uses GPT-4 to like actually remind your stuff in the middle of different things. And that's super cool. I, unfortunately, I spent some time near Avi, but he wasn't there. So I wasn't able to get a demo on the record, but when Avi comes, we'll definitely talk about Tab as well. We saw that Rewind, the company that has a agent that runs on your Mac, basically restores everything that you ever saw and gives you an agent to look through it. Also announced like a pendant as well. And there's rumors that Sam Altman and Johnny Ive are working on the hardware device mm -hmm. as well. And we know for sure that like hardware devices that AI is built into them, this is only the beginning. I think it's a very strong beginning. I don't know if I'll be getting one or I sign up for a wait list. I have a week to decide. So actually, let me just do it, man. Let's just get it. Yeah, just get it. Because it just has a it. Snapdragon uh, processor. And just to add a little bit more background, these folks used to work at Apple and they have extensive experience shipping hardware and software together, uh, working with these massive teams. And she was a part of Bethany Borongiorno, who is also the co-CEO, helps ship the iPad, the iPhone, and, and was part of the big program there at, with software at Apple. And then Imran hit, heading up the design aspects of things. And then the people they've actually brought on to run Humane were a lot of these people from Apple who were in these really different positions and very technical people. And in terms of hardware bring up to do the stuff that they were doing when I was talking to them early on, I'm not trying to share anything that's secret or anything like that, but it, it, it involves a high level of complexity that I'm still blown away because just to bring up a single like chip on a device minimum, you're going to be thinking at least three years or two years or so. And they've been able to bring this type of device with all this capability in a small period of time, not to mention the operating system and the security features that they're doing. So I'm just really curious to play around with it from that standpoint. And um, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to have a lot more hardware, software, interesting things than um, some really smaller devices that are in the similar space. But just going to add that point. They, yeah. they, they came out the gate very strong. The team is very strong. They have partnerships with OpenAI, with Google, with Tidal for music. They, no small-time developer will be able to link those partnerships and release a hardware device that has polished for sure, especially not with like T-Mobile. My only consideration is T-Mobile is shit perception in my area, so definitely don't want a device that I can't use in my area because AI is all about internet because it's not local yet. And I don't think they will ever be local because they, they're going, they're swinging for the fences in terms of capabilities. So that's humane, folks. Luigi, uh, final point, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Yeah, I guess final point for humane. 
I guess I was going to say, I don't think it's a coincidence that they had their event three days afterwards. And then within the announcement, they also, or sorry, I'll add more context, three days after the OpenAI Dev Day event. And within their humane announcement, they also said they're not going to have apps. They're going to have on-the-fly, like, AI experiences. And that sounds a lot to me like something like AI assistance and the whole system that OpenAI just announced. And I think it's probably actually developed in parallel. Because Sam Altman back more or around a year ago, he invested heavily in Humane. He's probably partnered up, I think, in some way with them. And they've probably been actually developing things unofficially partnered together. Yeah, they, they for sure, thank you for that additional context. I did not know that Sam Altman invested in them, but they for sure showed examples of very, very fast influence. And I know GPT-4 Turbo is fast, but they probably have a priority as well, enterprise as well, and, and that's going to be very, very interesting to follow. All right, so we'll see. I'll try. I try to get one. It's only well, what's another seven dollars, seven hundred dollars a month. Actually, on that point, let me let me finish with a, with a good point, folks. First of all, it's been two hours and four minutes, and I think we've crammed a huge amount of updates in those two hours. So kudos for everybody who stuck around, who listened, everybody on stage who, who who talked about this. It was an insane AI week. We usually say this. This was a particularly insane AI week, and I'm sure that we didn't get to 17 other updates about like open source models and different things. But this was a very important week in AI. I feel like a lot has changed, and we. And developers are now playing with those capabilities. A lot has changed in open source as well. There was a splash. People talked about open source versus open AI at the same day. Everybody covered the both, both things. And I want to add my voice to all of this, like a tiny, tiny thing. Everybody who stayed on and, 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 and are still here with us. I want to announce some personal news of mine that I've been wearing to, uh, waiting to share for a while now. And finally, it's official. I will be joining Weights and Vices starting next week. And I will be joining as an AI evangelist for weights and biases. This may come to a shock for some of you, but I think that it's very important to say this next thing. I've been incredibly humbled by the success of Thursday AI and not ever expect that anybody will sit and listen for me blabbering on. And, and then joined by friends on stage who are like actually, actually experts in their fields. Luigi and Gangadar and Al and Ray and, and Farrell and Nissan, like everybody who joins and Yam who's on a, on a, <laughs> on the leave and it's going to come back. I am really incredibly humbled that this whole thing suddenly found a kind of crossroads for open source developers as well. And talking about the differences between open AI and open source and people like Technium and, and news research folks who come in here and talk about yarn scaling method. I had no idea about how to even manage the conversation and folks like GarageBand and folks from GitHub and folks from, from Hanging Face, like all these kind of incredible places and folks from there just come in to talk about on Thursday night and to be able to do this professionally just blows my mind. The spaces will continue pretty much in the same format. I will probably add some uh, weight and biases content as I learn about them. You will also. That's my way of learning as well. This is how Thursday I started as we're learning together. Then in the audience, folks are learning as well. And uh, on the newsletter and the podcast, there will be some more uh, weights and biases content, not only about the training. And I will also talk about the other weights and biases offerings for people who write API, for example, and write run prompts on production. And uh, definitely expect that. And uh, that's starting next week. And I am very happy to say that I can continue technically because I've been doing this and we've all been doing this for the community. But the newsletter and the podcast took me a while of my time while not getting paid by anybody. And so I just did this with love and this love turned into something that's productive. Weight and Biases is universally known as this great company. Everybody who uses them, who I talk to, everybody say they're great and I can't wait to make them even greater. And so I just am very happy to share with you all this news. 
And this has been happening on Thursday I stage for multiple people, multiple people. Zenova started Transformers JS and then Hagen Face got them. I think Arthur talked about their stuff and then Arthur suddenly works in Luma. And I think there's like more examples. Oh, Junaid who started out with this like local newbie. I know Junaid Solinares now work with Glaive uh, to some extent. There's never been a low barrier of entry as there is right now. Like you can literally create a GPT with your, with your like hands and typing to it and talking to it. And within three minutes, you can make something that hasn't happened before. And I think that's all we're doing together. I just wanted to share my part and I'm very, very excited to already start and tell you all about like my learning process there. So with that, I think this is a good way to conclude Thursday. I, and thank you all for joining every week. I, I invite you to join next week as well. Obviously listen to the podcast, share with your friends. If you have friends who are like into this type of stuff, but they don't know Thursday, they should. And with that, I will conclude really my appreciation. And I'm really, really happy that you are here from week to week. And I really appreciate your time and attention, attention with the most important thing we all have, not only for LLMs, but for humans as well. Uh, uh, happy Thursday, everyone. And we'll talk next week. Bye-bye.